Hey, welcome back, filmmakers, to the Intuitive Filmmaker Podcast. I am your host, Jen Page, and I am here with one of my longtime friends. I don't even know how long we've known each other now, but it's been like a lifetime. A Chris Savino is here. He is, well, basically, you're a director of both animation and live action. You're now an author, which I want to talk about this Christmas book. And um, I don't know, you're probably also Santa, for all I know. I could Because be. apparently... There's a, I'm not even gonna say it cause I'm gonna spoil the audience. Don't spoil. You just spoiled for me. Yeah. <laughs> How did you even get started in animation? Uh, well, I was fortunate enough at the age of 19, it was like 1990. Um, I went to a, an animation festival in Detroit where I'm from. And um, <clears throat> a gentleman by the name of John Christopher Lucy who had done the Mighty Mouse series with Ralph Bakshi in the late 80s, which was a Saturday morning cartoon that I made sure that I saw every single episode of. Um, they had a short film or cartoon there called Ren and Stimpy. And I love I Ren and Stimpy. Saw it and I was just... I don't know why, but I did. <laughs> blown away by it. And um, so in... Gosh, it must have been sometime in, in early 1991... Uh, I just read in Animation Magazine just a tiny blurb that Nickelodeon was producing Ren and Stippy as a series. And it said on there, it said, um, at their Spum Spumco studio on Melrose in Los Angeles. <laughs> and this was at, a, you know, no cell phones, no internet, nothing. So I had to go to the library and, like, get <laughs> a, a Los Angeles phone book and look up. And there was Spumco. So I got the address. Um, and I, I just picture you, like, ripping the page out <laughs> and folding it in your pocket. <laughs> I might have. Um <laughs> But I wrote an actual letter. It was um, like I typed it up on a typewriter and <laughs> mailed it off to him with with. Um, the story gets weirder and weirder. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's a long time ago. Things have changed. Yeah, and and there was a drawing that I had done um, in there, and, and and two weeks later, I got a phone call on an actual phone that had a cord <laughs> uh, to the wall and introduced himself, and he said, you know, I just want to see some more of your sketches. Can you just wow. send me your sketchbook stuff? And I was. I was like beside myself. Um, so I, I got my sketchbook and I did this thing that was new called faxing <laughs> that you didn't do from home. You had to go to a, like a yeah. an office supply shop and f send like 25 cents a fax or whatever. So I sent those the next day and um, he called me two days later and said, if you want to come out to LA, you've got a job. Wow. So he took a chance on me. And I got to tell you like right up front, like that chance informed my whole career. It's like, Anytime I had the ability to give somebody a chance and give Aww. them their start, I would absolutely do it. And um, that is such a great life that, lesson, not <laughs> only for those people who are maybe scared to just boldly reach out, but for those of us who are hiring, like taking a chance on people right. and people who have good hearts or people who have talent and good hearts, you know, like it can change their life. It can. It's all. And it then takes. it can change other people's lives for. Yeah you know, the future to come. Um, so your first show ended up being what? That I worked on? Yeah. Ren and Stimpy. So you did work on Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. It wasn't just like, hey, we're going to put you on something. Like they actually put you on Ren and Stimpy. I was on it. It was, it was, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it, but yeah. it was probably the best experience and the worst experience <laughs> for me. It was like, um, you know, th they were the, the, like the top cartoonists in the industry. They all had a lot of experience and coming out of the eighties where all the cartoons were kind of just toy commercials. They were doing something wholly brand new Yeah, and um, really, I mean, just changing the face of television animation, whether they knew it or not. <clears throat> but the, 
they were also, you know, a, a little grizzled by the industry. So, you know, I was the new kid yeah. and I just, there were some days where I didn't have a good time and there were some days where I had a great time because I was always looking over everybody's shoulder like, I just wanted to watch people draw. Yeah. I, you know, I grew up pretty much being the only cartoonist I knew, so I didn't get to, to see that like yeah. in action. And so I'm sure I ruffled some feathers. I don't even think John likes me, to tell you the <laughs> truth. But I will forever be grateful yeah. uh, to him for that opportunity, for, for just giving a chance to some nobody in, in Michigan um, all those years ago and something I will never forget. Well, and then am I wrong in thinking that some, some of your shows after that went on to win some pretty mighty awards? Yeah, I, again, fortunate. I think I've, you know, I've been in really good, uh, the right place at the right time, I think. You know, um, worked on, on, on shows like Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff Girls, um, Johnny Test, uh, just some real big shows with some really talented people who also happen to be really generous with their time and their experience. Because I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not somebody who just needs to, just needs to know everything, but I was, I wanted to know every facet of animation. Yeah. Like, how did it work? It's not that I wasn't happy doing the job that I was doing. Like say, for example, on Dexter's Lab, I was doing storyboarding. Um, but I wanted to know like, what what are those sheets that have all the writing on it? Those are the timing sheets. And how do you do that? And can I sit in on editing? Can I sit in on um, a voice record? I just needed to absorb it all. I didn't f like feeling like just a cog in a big machine. Right. I wanted to know how the whole machine worked so I could feel comfortable as that cog. Well, it only helps knowing what what's going on anyway. Even if you just are like, I want to do this one job. I want to do storyboards for the rest of my life. Knowing what everybody else is doing and how you affect them right. is so important. I say the same thing to actors all the time. I'm like, stop being just an actor. Come to set one day and, you know, help in a department, whether it's in costumes or grip or whatever, and really learn how this whole machine works around you. Hey, that's pretty smart. Yeah. I'm going to take that. Most of them don't, unfortunately. <laughs> but the smart ones do. Uh, so let's fast forward now. You, I remember when you were going to be pitching a show. And to me, that's the, one of the scariest things to go, I've created an idea. <laughs> I love this idea in my bones. Yeah. And now I'm going to go sell it to people and hope they like it. What is pitching? Like, how do you even get to the point of pitching? Yeah, like, there's that hope. Um, you know, I'm not an idea guy. Like, I... I get ideas, but there's so few and far between that when I get one that I like, I spend a lot of time working on it, thinking about it. Like I have to be completely 100% like in love with the project before I'll go and show it to anybody, especially pitch it. Um, but one thing I did learn is that when you go into pitch, and it's scary, obviously, um, you want it to go well, you want them to say yes, like in the room, which you I want to remember happens. how to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but I just realized that the executive who's sitting across from you is is most likely as nervous and afraid to be sitting across from you as you are from them because their job relies on, right. on what they buy. If they buy something that doesn't do well, well, that's probably the end of that job. So it's, it's, also, it's similar even to casting, but it's like you're, I feel like they're, there's two, it's a twofold to their feelings. It's that executive is thinking one, please God be good, please be good because I need my next hit show. Yeah. And also like, 
okay, I think it's good, but will everybody else think it's good? And now that's on their shoulders. Right. And I think sometimes that there's a coldness in the room and you think it's you, but really it's them in their head yeah. <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, they're just, like I said, they're just as afraid. Yeah. And nobody wants, it's so easy to say no. It's just, it. it's everything to say yes. Suddenly everything's on the line. Yeah. And when they say yes, suddenly it's like, it's exciting. But yeah. they're like, oh my gosh, well now I have to. Oh, no. <laughs> make the show and be successful with it. Now I have to not suck. But you know, the, the, um, another thing I learned is you just don't go in and pitch cold. Like you sit down and here's my idea. I know that some, sometimes they don't have time and you've got like 10 minutes, but I always feel like you should come in and be a person first and get to know the person across from you, make each other comfortable. Even if it's telling a story about your life, um, for example, we'll probably get into it, but for, like for the Loud House, it wasn't just, hey, I've got this idea about 10, uh, a boy with 10 sisters. It was, I grew up in a family. I had, you know, nine brothers and sisters. There were five girls and five boys. And I just told the story about my life. So I think they felt a, a personal well, connection. They suddenly you become human. Exactly. Yeah. And then you pitch the idea and you've already done a lot of the work. You know, sometimes you've got like a really high concept show, but the shows don't rely on the, the concept for stories the yeah. stories come from the character and their and the why of the character and the want of the character um the fact that a character has 10 sisters is like okay but what are the stories about why? right um but i think that when you when you get on a level with the executive or whoever you're pitching to and you feel comfortable something there's a fear and desperation that walks into the room with you whether you like it or not but and you really try hard to be confident sometimes confidence comes across as cocky, cocky yeah yeah so but I, I kind of found like if you can get rid of the fear and desperation, I think the only thing that's left is what seems like confidence, but you don't even have to be confident. It's just like, you're just not afraid and just not desperate anymore. Right. It's like when you give up dating, like <laughs> I'm done. I'm never gonna meet Mr. Right. I'm through, I've made up my mind. I'm never going to uh, get married. And it's like the next day you run into somebody. Right. Like it's turned out to be the love of your life. It's because that fear and desperation to meet somebody is just gone. Yeah. And I think people are attracted to someone who seems confident. That goes for any job in this business. I always tell the story about my first big interview, which was for Ryan Murphy's Half Foundation. <laughs> and I I was fine going there. I'm confident. They're calling me in. They must like my work. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then you pull onto the lot. And then you see all the golf carts outside. Then yeah. you see the names of all the other shows going on. Yeah. And then by the time I'm sitting there with him, I'm, I've built it up so big in my head that I'm rambling like a freaking idiot mm. and I blow it. It's just like, if I could have just been in him and like, yo, what's up, dude? Like, how's your day been? Yeah. <laughs> like there was yeah. none of that. There was immediately like, okay, I'm here. What do you want to know? What can I tell you? I mean, I said that that was stupid. I mean, it's just, it's insane how much we sabotage ourselves in this business. Um, when we're moving to the next level. And I would assume that happens even if you're, you're at that next level, you're, you know, you've gotten your TV shows, you're directing or whatever it is. And then it's like, well, now I'm pitching for my first big feature, you know, my yeah. $20 million feature. It's just, it never ends. It never fear ends. Of it never ends. Of course you've got, up. you know, you've got momentum behind you if yeah. you're coming off of a hit show or something and people are basically throwing money at you to yeah. make a show for them. But I look forward to those days. Yeah, it'll happen. <laughs> but you know, the, the, the truth is, it's like, it comes down to, I think the idea obviously is important, but it comes down to the person who's executing that idea. I hear that well. a lot. Yeah. Because ultimately you just want to hang out with the person. <laughs> like, do I want to be around you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I've been close to some development where, you know, if all things were being equal and they were on the fence of like, should we pick this up or not? 
that the answer was no because they had a hard time working with that creator in yeah. making the pilot. It's like, nope, we're not going to do that because yeah. you, you got to imagine you're going to spend the next four years of your life working with this person. It's like, you want that stress? Yeah. Not really. Especially in animation where you guys, it takes so long to do everything. Okay, so you've pitched, you pitched Loud House. Let's go with, and, and, okay. and you've, so it's been successful. You're going to get it made, yeah. which like, holy crap moment, right? Yeah. Um, and then you have the moment of like, okay, now I can't screw it up. And then you start doing the self-doubt, right? Do you ever do that? Like mm. I do that every time I get the, fe like I give a book a feature. I'm like, I'm so good at this. Yeah, you should totally hire me. It's great. And then they go, oh yeah, we want to hire you. And then I go, oh God, they're trusting me. <laughs> yeah. I suck. I'm not good enough for this. <laughs> and don't think about the money either because it'll make it worse. Oh yeah, you can't. You, you know, can't. The, the first season of but that I do. house was like, <laughs> A, a dedicated like 13 million dollars like it's so abstract at that yeah. point it's like you can't even think about how much money that actually is and that they're trusting you yeah with that money it's it's debilitating really it, it can be and then you're in your position now are you're hiring i'm assuming hiring team you're hiring right. like you're just really in charge of making this whole show come together right which then was like a out the gate success like people loved it it was i remember having a conversation with the art director before the show even came out she was, we were just talking about it. And this was an honest question. She's like, well, I think I, she said, well, what if the show fails? Because we're always worried about that. <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, worse, what if it's like a success? <laughs> like that's, that's just, that's sometimes more scary. Suddenly yeah. it's like you've got this weight on your shoulders. And when people are telling you like, oh, your show has totally saved the network. Oh, it's like, great. I know it's just, it's just hyperbole, but yeah. it's just like, oh yeah, I didn't already feel like I had yeah. so much weight on my shoulders. Like, well, now I guess I'm carrying a network with this stuff. Um, but you just, you put on these blinders and suddenly something shifts from, you know, we talk about, um, having people, you know, putting their two cents in or whatever, but there was something that happened is like, uh, by the time we sold the loud house, it was, I had already had 20 years of experience at least. And a lot of it was just like, oh, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And that's why what was going on during the pilot. Cause they were like. 12 other pilots going on like well he knows what he's doing just leave him leave him be we gotta focus on these oh dumpster fires over that's kind of nice that's rare it was and it's not often you get that opportunity but you prove yourself like yeah i can make this yeah and when again without the fear or desperation when an executive has a question like well can it can their sisters be some of them be brothers and it's like no, but <laughs> you've got, you've got the reason why right. and you've got the confident answer that makes them go, Oh, right. Yeah. That's absolutely right. You right. convince them in a way that is not like I'm an auteur and how dare you make a suggestion? Like, it's like, no, here's, right. here's why I believe fully that this is the right way to go with it. And that's such, sometimes that's hard to do, especially, I mean, it, when you're on film, when you're like on set as a director and someone's coming up to you and suddenly, you know, the producer's questioning something you're doing. Or, and you're just like, no, that's not possible because you need to keep moving on. I think it's it's one of the things I'm trying to learn to be better about, to be like, okay, that's a good idea. Here's why I wouldn't do it. Right. <laughs> right. It's not always the easiest thing to do. It's it's egos, even though, I mean, you, you want to pretend that you don't have one, but everybody has one and it's it's not a bad thing. Yeah. But, you know, you, you first of all, you get the nerve to go to, to a director and say, how about we try something different? It's like, that's a lot of nerve yeah. to, to, to be like, cast off by the director at that point like it's got to hurt yeah so you know being open to that is just like one of my like mantras is always be open to ideas from anywhere even if the person who is comes into your room to empty out the trash bins if they look at your desk and go oh here's how i feel about that 
like, yeah, you might have the best idea yeah. ever because we're too close to it to be yeah, of it. Or sure. this person's like a like an audience member who would see it differently. And ultimately your name's on it, right? So if it makes it better and you have the ability to see that it will make it better, like, yeah, put it in there. Yeah, that's smart. You know? um, can you talk about the biggest differences between directing live action versus animation? Because I know a lot of directors on the people who listen to the show are doing live action stuff, but have might, some might have aspirations to do animation. Um, Take the fear out of them. Yeah, <laughs> it is different. And you see someone like was it Wes Anderson who does some animated yeah. stuff every once in a while. Um, you know, obviously with any production, it's about trusting your team. And on animation, there were four people that I needed to trust um, fully. Even though we had like a forty-person crew. I didn't need to oversee all of them. Right. It was the line producer, the story editor, the storyboard supervisor, and the art director. Those are the people that I just needed to trust the most. And not only trust to get my vision across, but trust that they had the the best interest of the show in mind when they made decisions and given them the freedom to make decisions. Right. Um, you know, early on it's difficult because you just want everybody to be on the same page. But eventually you want them to have their input as well. What's the first thing you would direct? Um, is it, are you working with the storyboard artist first and like creating? What well, starts with story? You, obviously you have your script, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, not all animated shows have scripts. Some just from outline go straight to storyboard and the storyboard artist is um, not only draws out the, the, like the comic strip version of the, of, the <clears throat> of the episode, but they're writing the dialogue and the jokes and they're, figuring out the pacing and the editing, how things cut, all in the storyboard. It's almost like if you did boards for a, for a live action feature or a TV show, it just gives you a sense of how things are gonna play out. It makes it easier on the day too when you're yeah. shooting. It's like, well, these are the scenes I need to get for sure. Doesn't mean you can't change that. But um, the outline can also go to script. And because The Loud House was so many characters, I knew it just kind of had to be a script-driven show. Yeah. Like if I got an outline that said, you know, Lincoln and Lynn have this story together. I would forget about the other, All the other or sisters, nine characters yeah. in it. And I just wanted to make sure that those characters, even though they weren't main part of that episode, were still populating the house to feel like it was always full of kids at some right, point. Right, right, yeah. Um, I know I wouldn't want to draw 11 characters in a, in, a, in a storyboard panel, so I would certainly get rid of them if that's what I was doing. But it needed to be scripted to make sure that there was a balance Um of those characters within the house. Um, but so, you know, in in live action, you get your script, and especially in TV, the script is approved, and a week later, you've shot right. the, the episode. It's in the can. And pretty much storyboards and shot lists are almost a waste of time for the most part. In live action. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a hustle. Yeah. Uh, especially on a series. But in animation, it's like that's just the beginning. We've got another eight or nine months of production beyond that before we even see So the first picture. thing you need as a to be as a director of animation is patience. <laughs> sure. But you're doing Endurance. one each week. So, okay. you know, if you start a, a, a script on week one and that kind of goes off on its own and then week two, you start a new script and that goes off on its own. So at some point you are, you know, when people are coming up to you and asking you questions, it's like someone could be asking a question about the script on episode 13. Yeah. And then another person could be acting, asking about the storyboard on episode 20 and then come up to you and ask about the um, post-production on episode two. And you have to be able to just like bring it up and go, oh, right, that's the answer here. It's like you don't want 
those people all have jobs too and they yeah. want an answer so they can go back to their desk and do that job so you need to be, be is able it to call typical in animation as far as um tv animation for one director to see the whole series out where because in film mm. i mean in, in tv live action obviously there's usually a different director every right. week right. uh you know, the process is different for every show creator or showrunner. For me, I always felt like it just, there were shows that had <clears throat> a pre-production director and a post-production director. I'm like, well, how, how can you have two different people yeah. working on the same episode if they didn't know the, the thought process that, that went into the pre-production when they do the post-production? Right. I mean, there were times when I would make a decision in pre-production in a storyboard. I was like, you know what? I can really do something with this in post-production. So I'm just going to leave this the way it is, knowing full well what I could do. So as a showrunner myself, I was the sole director. I made sure that every single episode filtered through me. Now, granted, it's a lot of work. Um, and when you're doing it, starting a new episode every week, it's like it just it doesn't stop. Yeah. But it really puts you in a place where, you know, I say it's like it's like never be satisfied, just be out of time. And you're it's like you're always out of time. It's like, OK, yeah, I could spend another eight months on this storyboard, but I've got eight minutes. So yeah. I'm going to do what I can to make it as good as I can and give it to the next person. And I think as long as you love what you're doing, it never feels like too much. Never a job. Yeah. How do you deal with the stressors when it isn't easy? Plus you have, you know, a whole family to deal with. Right. Um, right. You got to balance out that time. You got to balance out, you know, eating and sleeping. Right. And right. Well, you know, there's something about the entertainment industry and I don't know what it is. There's just this, this need or some, no one tells you this, but you suddenly have this desire to just always prove yourself. Yeah. And even if you're working nine to five, we'll say on that job physically at the studio, you go home, you're still thinking about it. Yeah. It's always on. So it is a 24 hour a day job and you don't want to turn it off because you know, you might come up with a great idea. You might come up with a solution, but it's always going. And you always going. feel like there's like there's always something falling through the cracks. If you're not thinking about it, right. there's it's it's a no, it doesn't stop. It, it doesn't, really doesn't stop. And I don't know why that has has happened. I think people are happier who can just at six o'clock punch out and go home and and turn it off. Yeah. And then come back in in the morning and turn it back on. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I wish I could do it. And right. I think I think that was health wise probably a detriment for me. It's like I was always working. And even though running a TV show was literally like 60 or 70 hours a week of actually working on it, I had I had this inability to say no to other projects. Mm. Fear of missing out? I have no idea. Yeah. But if someone would call and say, hey, I'm doing this thing, would you like to do it? It was always, yeah, totally want to do that. Yeah. And I would take on extra work or freelance work or write extra Crazy. scripts for the show. <laughs> and, and I don't know why, but it was just, it just, it filled all that time. I, that is sadly a normal thing though. I used to do the same thing. I know every, a lot of people in my circle do the same thing. And one of the most uh, valuable lessons you learn in this business is saying no and, you know, saying no in a polite way, but having your own boundaries for your own health. Right. It took me literally getting sick to the point of like, I can't, function. I can't leave my house right. to go. I have to say no to things and then learn what is worth saying yes to. Well, that's pretty good. That should be on a shirt or a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> or I don't know. You know, I, you know, unfortunately, you know, alcohol played a, a big role in that of just kind of coming down off yeah. of that as well. And near the end, like I've been sober for over two years now. So near the end of that, just before that decision to stop drinking, it was 
it was pretty bad. It was, you know, didn't, it wasn't like, hey, I'll have a glass of wine to take the edge off for a beer. It became like one, two, three, four yeah. shots following it. And, and by myself too, I wasn't going out. Yeah. Um, but it was like after the family went to bed and it's like nobody knew that I was. And it, I think that goes to more even alcohol because my vice was always uh, Pepsi, you know, chocolate and like just, you know, oh, I've, I finished the day on set. I deserve all this really crappy food. Right. And we're right. shoving all this in our bodies, which is literally killing us. Hey, filmmakers, it's Jen. Just interrupting really quick to give you a heads up that from here on out, we only have camera audio and it's terrible. Our mic audio got corrupted, but I wanted to make sure you got to hear the rest of Chris's interview because I feel like he had some great stuff. So forgive us and please enjoy the rest of the episode. You're really good at um, taking something that feels familiar in some way and putting a twist on it, which I know because I'm reading your book. <laughs> Because like, it's Christmas time. Now, when you guys watch this, it will be in the new year. But right now, we're recording this in December, and this has been my favorite thing because I could go to bed every night and get a little bit of Christmas every single night. Mm. Although it's dark. A little dark. And um, I, I'll let you sort of mention a little bit what it's about because I don't want to give away any spoilers. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's about a, a naughty boy who uh, gets kidnapped and taken to Santa's coal mines to work. On Christmas Eve. I mean, because the coal has to come yeah. from somewhere. It sounds darker than it. I mean, it's dark, but it's not dark. Like, it's totally, like, it's totally fit for, like, I would say, you know, a junior high kid would read this and have fun. And, oh, that's and, nice. and mom and dad doesn't have to feel like. Well, you know, I, my wheelhouse has been, like, 6 to 11 my whole career writing for that age group. And so for this, it's probably 8 to 12. Yeah. But, you know, a book about Santa, maybe a 12 year old may I shy mean, away from uh, it. I don't know. I'm 43. So. Um, <laughs> and then you have another book you're writing about how to do animation. Right. Which will that be out by the time we, when is that coming out? Oh, okay, March. March 1st. And it's how to write um, TV cartoons. And it came from the writing on The Loud House. And it, you know, it's not, I don't think it's anything groundbreaking, but it's just a culmination of all of our ideas and, and I think what made the show work in the writing, I had to kind of share that. It was like, um, I don't want to call them rules because that'd, that'd make it not fun. <laughs> but, you know, we all, we all brought something to the table with, with, with the Loud House, but I knew there were things that I needed it to be. And originally it was supposed to be a half hour show because there were so many characters. I'm like, well, how? 11 minutes just isn't enough to tell a story. And I'm a big fan of the Brady Bunch, so what well, could be like that? You know, you get a chance to tell an A story and a B story, maybe like a little C runner. Um, but we decided it was going to be 11 minutes, but I had already done all this research about how a sitcom is structured. Um, and so there's this, you'll read the book, but there's this halfway point in a sitcom or even a movie called, called the midpoint where mm -hmm. there's a big change or the character has a win or thinks things are going well or things are going really bad. Something that, that kind of locks your character into the rest of the movie. And I liked that about sitcoms. It was like, it's the thing that happens before the commercial. It's what makes you come yeah, back yeah. after the commercials. Like, oh, I gotta, I gotta remember that. So it became like, it, it became the, like the fulcrum of a teeter-totter. Almost literally, it was the middle of the cartoon where, you know, if, if a character has a, a desire and they go after it and they have, you know, um, complications along the way and then at the end they get it. Like, that's a typical story. But what if you give that thing to the character halfway through. Then they'll have to deal with the consequences of that. Yeah. And being in a big family, 
I know this firsthand, that there are consequences sometimes to getting what you want because there are nine other kids who are like, well, why did he get what right, he wanted and right. he didn't get it? And suddenly it causes a problem. Um, so it was very important to have that moment halfway through the cartoon that really took what was originally the, the resolution scenes and made it halfway through. And it kind of forced us to almost write a whole second cartoon. It's like, okay, this character's got what he's, want, what he's wanted, and now the balance of the household's upset. It's like, now what? We've got another five and a half minutes to, to fill out for this cartoon. And so you got the sense that there were like two cartoons in one. And everyone would be like, why, why does it feel like there's so much going on in the show? It's like, I know there's a lot of characters, but it just feels like there's so much story. And that was, that's why. We kind of forced ourselves to, to compress what could be yeah. ultimately a good episode, but compress it into the first half and then deal with... That's probably why it was so popular, because it doesn't, it doesn't let up. You never can have a chance to get forward. No, but the pacing's there. And, and um, you know, there's some, uh, another thing is, like, I fully believe that, that emotion needs to play a role in a cartoon. And I'm guilty of this as well, of just like, hey... It's a cartoon. Who cares if you believe the character made that choice or if you believe that character um, really felt like he or she was sorry? It's like, no, I really want to feel it. So I would tell the writers, like, I don't care if there's a joke on this whole page. If you make me believe or feel that this character made this decision or felt this way, there doesn't need to be jokes. Like, it's wow. just important to be have emotion yeah. as jokes. I think it's a, hard, it's a hard decision for someone in your position to make. But it's, I always feel like it's the right one. People try to shove way too much in just because, but they're supposed to be a joke. I felt that way about Frozen 2. I'm like, oh, they felt like it's been too long since Olaf had a song. Yeah. They shoved the song in. doesn't move the story along. It's not as good as this original song, but here we go. You know. And that's right. I think that's, it's sad that it I, happens. But I think it also makes the jokes funnier somehow when you're like, oh my gosh, I almost just cried in that moment. Yeah. And then there's a joke right after that. It could be the worst joke in the world, but you're laughing hysterically because like, Better than crying. Yeah. I'm going to hand you our um, intuitive filmmaker cards here. Oh. You're going to shuffle. You're going to pick whatever one speaks to you without looking. Oh. You cheated. You cheated, Mom. Well, the fact that Santa dies in this book is kind of dark, <laughs> don't you think? Talking about cold, but I'm just. That would be dark. And then I would not be happy with you. Okay. I've shuffled. I don't even like when people make fun of Santa in movies. Okay, go ahead and pick that top card. Oh, it's the top card. Huh? Oh, it can be any card you want. Yeah, it's the top card. What would you get? Oh, boy. <laughs> Money. <laughs> this card is never, I've never even drawn this card. What's the first thing that comes to your mind in a lessons learned on money? Uh, that it is the root of all evil. <laughs> I want lots of money, so I don't think it's evil. That you'll never have enough. <laughs> and you think that having more money will somehow make you happier, mm -hmm. but ultimately it's not about money. It's about the, the, the human beings in your life. Yeah, I could believe that for sure. I mean, I definitely am somebody who wants money. <laughs> but I think when you've come from, you know, in the past, I mean, there's a point where my daughter and I were on food stamps. Like, money definitely solves some problems. People who are like, money doesn't solve problems, it brings problems. Yeah, well, you've never been on food stamps. Yeah. Um, and they probably have plenty of <laughs> They probably do. Like, these billionaires who, you know, they have, like, it's like I have $80 billion. I could fix world hunger with 32, but I'm not going to yeah. do Yeah, Lamborghinis suck. Look, well, that's because you have one in your garage. <laughs> Let me have it, and I'll tell you <laughs> if, it sucks. if it sucks. Yeah, so I think money is a good thing. I think we could do a lot of good with money. I feel like 
money, one of the biggest money issues in film is that filmmakers are underfunded and oh. everybody's working too hard yeah. all the time for, for not enough money. Yeah. Or for free. Um, I think that it'd be great if there was more money to go around in that way. Like I would love to have just a production company with just just so much money that like I could film, I could you know give money to like budding filmmakers or not even budding like filmmakers who are my position when I was trying to make my first movie. You know, it's like I have all this work, I've proven that I know what I'm doing. I just need a little bit of help. Right. Or in my last my last feature, same thing. <laughs> we didn't have enough money. <laughs> I think I think that's been like if I had a nickel for every time you've mm -hmm. said that you're doing a job and there's not enough money. I know. I have a lot of a lot of nickels, but there probably weren't <laughs> any nickels to give me. And you're like the funny thing is you're always like the first thing you always ask when I say I have a new job is how much are they paying you? Because <laughs> he knows I'm so bad about being like it's fine. I'm mm -hmm. just gonna do it. Just there's a passion behind it, obviously. Yeah. I don't do it anymore. Do I I got too sick to take on jobs for no money. So I think I learned my lesson because I had to. I'm glad, but I'm sad you had to go. Through. Yeah, um, I think we all go through something, you know, to kind of where your lesson was. All the money in the world isn't going to make my life better. You know, I had to go through the, like, all the jobs in the world are not going to make me happier. Like, right. I have they to. They made you sicker. Yeah, they did. They did. Probably. We cannot let you leave without doing our rapid fire questions, okay? Ooh, Ready? I like rapid fire. All right, here we go. If you had to quit show business, speaking, writing books, all of that, what would you do? I would, uh, my rapid fire answer was take that trip to Mars, that one-way <laughs> trip. But I've got kids, so I can't say that one. But that's the first thing that came to yeah. mind. It's like, I would like to do that. Well, at least you took it back. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> You're like, oh, wait, the kids. There's okay. a caveat. Here. Okay. Yeah. When they're 18, they'll take your trip to Mars. We're getting close. <laughs> um, if you could make one genre of film or animation, or maybe write one genre of book, whatever you choose, yeah. what would it be? Uh, my wheelhouse is kids, and I've always said for live action, I want to do like Coen Brothers for kids. So that's kind of where my, I just want to answer lies, yeah. but I don't think I'll ever get to do it. Well, don't say Not that. to be negative, but. Um, if you could work with any actor on your next project. Any actor, and you want me to be rapid fire? <laughs> this is the question that everybody has the hardest time with, because one, nobody ever wants to offend the other actor uh, they didn't pick. Yeah, I... <laughs> I didn't love the movie, and I'm sorry to say this, the, the, the underwater one where the girl falls in love with the fish guy. Oh, yeah. That won some awards. Yeah. I, for some reason, the name is slipping me, too, but I know it's That actress who plays the yes. lead. Oh, fantastic. She just, like, I just was so enthralled by her the whole time. Everything she did was like, oh, she's so good. Yeah. I mean, that's why the movie even works at all. She's fantastic. Yeah. Except uh, the nudity. I didn't think I needed the nudity. <laughs> in that. I don't think you ever need nudity, but that's no. just me. If you could tell your younger self one thing. Mm. Stay in school? No, I, <laughs> I, I graduated. Don't do drugs? <laughs> My younger self is... Um, boundaries. Better boundaries. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And finally, if you are living your ultimate dream, ultimate dream came true, what do you do? Uh, I did. Aww. I, I sold a show, and it's a hit show that's won Emmys. So 
that to me is is great. You hit it's the like, top, that's it. You're done. You get total. On the beach. My glass ceiling. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Thank Thanks you for guys me. for sticking around. And if you like what you saw, please share with at least one person you think would like it. And we'll see you next time. Smash that like button. You've been listening to the Intuitive Filmmaker Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, as that helps others find us, which helps us to keep delivering great content to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all of your other favorite podcast apps.